Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. Dumpty, 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 dum, dumpty, 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 dumpty. This is Dumpty Dam, a podcast about the archers and the going on in average. I am the Bruce Turkey, who is Jacqueline Burton. And I'm the anonymous telephone bidder, who is Stephen Bowden. Ooh, and then there's you. Our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who've been running up quite a tab at the tea rooms this week. Now, welcome to Dumpty Dum. This is a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by the wonderful, I am a great fangirl of his, Kerry Davis. And this week we have calls from... Jen, who wants to pay tribute to Peggy. Claire from Clappen, who is fed up with quite a few villagers. Darcy, who's keeping a close eye on Tom and Natasha's tab. <laughs> Catherine, who has questions about the planning situation at Grange Farm. Paul in Olney, who is wondering why the Grundies are so worried about the auction. Vicky Cole, who hopes that the auction will lead to an interesting storyline. And finally Witherspoon, who is shouting, yay, go girl, again. Plus, we have the week in Ambridge by Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Ben in Shanghai, and the three Twitter gongs from Theo. Before Stephen and I start whittering about too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week in Ambridge with a roundup from our Sui. Hello, lovely people. It's Sui here, Queen Auto on the Twitters and Blue Sky. Whatever. It's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge as far as Thursday night. I'll be out for a Christmas thing on Friday night and don't expect to be back until the wee hours. You will have to fill in Friday yourselves. This week was brought to you by the team of women in Ambridge who have collectively had enough. Oh, and Kate, who as usual can only see as far as the end of her nose. Everybody wants the Grange Farm land. Tom and Natasha were planning to build a house or plant wildflowers or some such, but by the time we got to Thursday night they were pulling out because they're very, very tired because Johnny is still not back and won't be until his actor finishes whatever other work he's doing, presumably. Brian wants more agricultural land to do experimental planting and the moustache-twirling Justin wants to build an eco-mansion. Do we believe him? Do we heckers like? Justin also did some very dodgy behind-the-scenes communication with Shula after Alice spilled the beans about Lillian putting up an international equestrian arena, which seemed somewhat pie in the sky. Shula made a guest appearance, ready to fall out with Lillian, who has pulled out of the auction. Shula turning up was most unexpected and well done to the scriptwriters for keeping that a secret. The end of Peggy's tether has been reached and she is planning to move to the laurels. Kate thinks Peggy should stay in her own home and she'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. I don't think Peggy is for turning. She's already had people interview the lodge. Oh dear. Kate's efforts, including trying to get Emma back to do the cleaning... Emma doesn't want posh people or hobby farmers moving in to Grange Farm and she does not want her job as a cleaner back. She went nuclear. It was brilliant. 
Kate was absolutely vile to Emma. She can stick her fake pity where the sun don't shine. Kate said that Emma was rude and ungrateful and is clearly lacking in all understanding. Hello, Mrs. Pot. Let me introduce you to Mr. Kettle. She also lost Jacob's watch by dropping it down her boot. Doesn't sound like moving in there is a long-term solution. He was super irritated, but remarkably understanding. Kate could really learn from Jacob, which is not a sentence I ever expected to say. Clary Love not only reached the end of her tether, but also said she was living on a cliff edge all the time, and you never know when the sea's going to wash it all away. It was bloody brilliant. Good on you, Clary. She gave all of her boys what for after they threatened to picket the auction. They called the plan up and were quite nice to her. Oliver suggested that Clary and Eddie should move into an almshouse, which are really rather nice, and also charge a peppercorn rent. Lillian kicked Justin out for an utter betrayal of her vision. She dragged up the charging station and he told her he would take whatever was the rational option. Oh, my word, there was cheering in the cheap seats. Tilly reminded her that he bought the Dower House. Oh, dear. I don't see her apologising any time soon. Well, enjoy Friday and I'll talk to you next week. Hope it's a good one. Thanks for that, Sui. I had a good night out last night. You didn't miss much because we're still no wiser as to who this is bidded highest for the, the land. So, Stephen, are we nearly at the end of the kitchen saga? We were supposed to be at the end of the kitchen saga, but we ran into the first significant problem, which is when the worktops were delivered on Wednesday, one of the big pieces didn't quite fit, but the firm that made them very rapidly recognised that they'd made a, an error in cutting it up and it was entirely their fault and they're working hard to to remedy it. In fact, they're coming round this morning to fit well, it. Uh, is, to, we don't have too many technical blips. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not due until 10 o'clock and then they'll come along and they'll fit it. So everything that was supposed to have happened on Thursday and Friday now has to happen early next week, but at least it'll be only a few days. And, and they were very good in terms of admitting that they had made the mistake and moving as rapidly as possible to fix it. Good, totally good. So the end is nigh. The end is nigh, yes. I still don't have a hob. I still don't have a proving drawer below well, the oven. The most exciting bit. <laughs> and I still don't have a tap, but all of those have to wait until the worktops are done. Actually, the proving drawer doesn't. That's just was a bit delayed in being delivered, but it will be arriving at some point early next week. Giant How about kids. you? How has your week been? The week has been pretty busy as usual, but it's building up to our... We have hmm, a midwinter festival evening. We have a, I don't know, how do you say it? Is it Lapland? Was it Lapland in English? In Laponie. We have a hut that came all the way from Laponie, which could have been a sauna, but it is a, a barbecue hut. And so we have a midwinter feast in there. And that's tonight. We spent a lot of time putting the reindeers out into the sunshine and stuff like that. So getting quite excited about it. I've done a lot of pre preps. It's just, bread baking and canopy making now. We don't have uh, anything quite like that here, but there's today and tomorrow in Gloucester, there's some big medieval revelry going on. Mm. So I think I can't, because of the kitchen stuff, I can't get over there today, but I might get over to Gloucester tomorrow to that see sounds, what is happening. That sounds brilliant. I love anything like that. That's there's supposed to be a procession through the town of all these European Christmas-associated figures like Krampus and wow, right. various Dutch, strange Dutch ones like Black Peter. Black, and Black Peter, yeah. That sounds very exciting. I hope you get over there. I suppose we'd have to go on. You told me this lot then, shouldn't we? Okay, in which case we need to start with this. Hello, Pusscat. And first up, we have Jen. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. Jen here, calling in very early in the week. But Peggy has been shifted sideways to the laurels, or it looks like she's going that way. And I was just moved to call in and give a tribute again to the character and to the actress. We've known Peggy for a very long time. I have to say, probably my second favourite scene ever was Jill and Peggy in St. Stephen's having a look at the Grace Memorial window and... 
Jill confessed how much that she sits there and sometimes she just really wants to put a brick through it. And the pair of them cackled away. And I just loved that. They were a great pair, sort of rival sister-in-laws battling away together and then coming together in unity over that, I just thought was brilliant. She's a tough old bat. She's really been through, through the mill, has Peggy. And I'm disappointed that she is going quietly into the night. I wish they'd given her more of a dramatic exit. I think the actress deserved something really dramatic, like turns out that all this unbelievable amount of cash that she's always seemed to have is from some fancy man and that she's maybe was dating a media magnet and beautiful black helicopter gets sent in and she's whisked off to some gorgeous island and that's the last we see of Peggy. Far better that than just putting the laurels and forgot about or occasionally mentioned by Sykesy or Ben. So yeah, just to, to tribute to Peggy, of course that wouldn't be realistic, but if we're not going to be realistic about horses or very dodgy sounding inventors called Harry, then why do we have to be realistic about the old people? Let them have some fun. Thank you for that call, Jen. And yes, uh, June Spencer as Peggy has been absolutely brilliant over the many decades that she's played the part. She's would have been the longest serving person, not just on the Archers, but I think playing a, a single part in radio history had she not taken a break in the early years. And so she's actually been overtaken by Paddy Green, who plays Jill, who is now the longest serving single character in a, a role after she took over from Norman Painting, who played Phil. I'm not quite sure that the realism point is the same. I think there's one thing about getting facts right and wrong. And as you have pointed out to us so many times, Jen, the horsey facts aren't always very right versus the realism of the storyline. But it would be good to give Peggy a big storyline. They did give June Spencer a storyline when she turned 100 a few years ago, and it was the wretched Ambridge Trust that ended up with the rewilding project. But that seemed a pretty feeble storyline to celebrate a 100th birthday of an actor, and I certainly thought it was a bit disappointing. Whether they can do anything for Peggy, who is 99, turned 99 quite recently, so her 100th birthday will be sometime towards the end of next year whether they'll mark that, because they didn't even mention her 99th birthday, because it was, I guess, overtaken by Brian's 80th and Rory's 21st. But next year, she'll have the most memorable birthday, I suppose, about from Clary, who I think turns 70 in the spring. Maybe Eddie will have whisked her away somewhere for a lovely holiday by then. I doubt it, but there we go. I agree with you, Jen. Let the old people have some fun. I think we should have, they should have a couple of storylines. I mean, flights of fancy. If you can't have a flight of fancy when you're 100, when can you? Also, I'm very curious, and you said your second most favourite scene ever was in St. Stevens. And I have to say, that's one scene that I loved as well. I wonder what your first one is. I think there's another caller in next week for Stephen and Theo. And you can tell them what's your first favourite scene. I'd quite like to know what other people's really memorable favourite uh, scenes are. So maybe in the new year when I'm back and up and running properly, we can have a few polls about that. Okay, next up, we have Claire from Clapham. Hey, Dumpty Dum, it's Claire from Clapham here. And just like our poor Clary, I've had it up to here. And I've had enough of stupid Kate and her self-centred thinking and of Justin and Lillian bickering with each other. Why do they see each other anymore? Just do not understand that relationship at all these days. And why does Lillian think she can throw Justin out of his own house? Honestly, she should have married him and she'd at least have a few property rights. And also, where should have just a flipping phoned people from Sutherland to come all the way back for this? I don't know. Anyway, one of those weeks where I feel very cross about lots of people and uh, I look forward to a bit of light relief. Although I was very pleased to hear Emma tell Kate where to go. And I'm looking forward to the showdown where uh, Emma and Fallon give Tom and Natasha their bill. Ha ha! The workers strike back. Keep up the good work. Speak to you soon. Uh, thanks for that, Claire. Yes, it's been one of those weeks when some of the characters have been just so irritating. The Kate, I agree with what you say about Kate. She was really, really play Kate at her best, worst. I don't know which way to put it. And it also showed to me Jacob uh, in a new light because... I felt that he was incredibly patient with her, incredibly, maybe just, he was just dealing with her as she is in her over-the-top, self-centred way. Whereas Brian got cross with her, he kept, he kept trying to put her back on track, which 
I appreciate it a great deal. Uh, Justin and Lillian's story, Justin and Lillian as a relationship, I've never really got. So I think she's, he's too straight and she's too fun and loving. And yeah, and I think it's this whole thing has brought it to light that he's a cad, he's a liar, he's a secretive businessman. And it doesn't work. Start. If you're in a relationship, you have to share, especially as they're not in their first show of youth either, are they? They would hopefully be great old together and still running businesses because people do still run businesses until their dotage. But he, sh- he should trust her more. He should be more open. Yes, Claire, quite right. There were some very brilliant scenes, interesting characters and irritating moments this week for me. I thought the Lillian-Justin thing, the, what was really not believable about that was the idea that they could have kept an investment of that scale secret from Shula. And I think that Justin was in many ways right, but perhaps not to go sneakily to Shula behind Lillian's back. That, I think, was not the right way to do it if you're in that sort of relationship. But I I do think that it was implausible that they were ever going to get very far. Having an international arena sounded like a crazy idea anyway. The, The horse spa was a much more sensible idea. Yeah, uh, And, of course, we don't know who has bought the land at Grange Farm, but my top tip is that it's Harry Chilcott with a view to doing that horse spa thing. Whether or not he's been talking to Alice about it, we don't know, because, of course, Alice didn't say anything about her role in the auction. So that's definitely a possibility. I think it's worth noting that Shula was a totally unexpected yeah. return. Because we'd all been given the impression that uh, Judy Bennett has retired from the programme and that her move to Sunderland was the end. Now, there wasn't a huge fuss about it and it wasn't a huge farewell storyline, but it was very clearly signalled outside the programme that that was her going into retirement. So it was interesting her coming back. So maybe she will hang around much as Tamsin Gregg hangs around and occasionally turns up to our delight as Debbie and that we haven't got her gone completely. Because I think having Shula in very small, almost homeopathic doses quite works. It works quite well. You're not a Shula fan then? I'm not a huge Shula fan. She was so central when I was first listening, when, I was, you know, when she was in her teens and early 20s, which is when I was first sort of listening independently as opposed to listening yeah. with my mother. And you just got a bit bored with her because she wasn't as exciting as her sister, she wasn't as exciting as Nigel, and she was hanging out with the other returnee from this week, which is Graham Ryder. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Working with him, wasn't she? Yes. Working for him, yes. He was her boss. Yeah. Um, he sounded quite young. I thought that Graham Ryder sounded quite young. It's the same actor, Malcolm McKee. Really? Who uh, has always played him since, I think, 1994 or whenever it was he he first I hope appears. he gets other work. I hope he gets other work as well. We yes, I, mean, it, I, I think we, had, we last heard him. He was involved in the Plan B yeah. stuff and the selling well, of Brookfield. Right. So that was a, a brief reappearance in 2014 for, for Graham Ryder. The other person that Jen mentioned was Kate. Yeah. And yes, Kate was being absolutely peak Kate this week. And that marvellous view of Peggy being... What was I can't remember the exact words that she used, and I'm sure somebody later on in the, the podcast will, will mention it, but being totally unreasonable, I think it was. Yes. Uh, and you think, Kate, if anybody is totally unreasonable, it's you. Yeah. But I, I'm one of these I people think, who really loves Kate as a character. Yeah, I, I, I suppose she leaves her a bit cold, really, because I find some of her antics very ridiculous, but... She makes me laugh out loud sometimes. And one of the moments this week when she made me laugh out loud is when she'd be saying, and I could do the caring, even personal stuff. And then was moaning about having to take her to another church once a month on a Sunday. I just proved Kate's. It was great. brilliant writing by Kerry Davis this week. Uh, yeah. I think he writes Kate very, very well. He's got the nuance exactly right. Yes. Maybe I like does. those weeks, don't like other weeks. <laughs> right, shall we move on to our next call? And this is from Darcy. At the insistence of some people at Dumpty Dum, this is Darcy in Northern California. I do want to ask if anyone has an idea, what do you really think the dollar amount is going to be due at the end of the month for Tom and Natasha at the tea room? They seem to be eating really, really well. I just, is it going to be 50 pounds, 100 pounds? My guess is the what do you have? 
So anyway, y'all place your bets and we'll see who comes out and actually names the dollar amount at the end. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for that call, Darcy. Yes, I think that they are going to be absolutely shocked, Tom and Natasha, when they are handed a bill for the amount of stuff that they have been helping themselves to. Now, we have a call a bit later on that claims that it's perfectly legitimate for them to do this as long as it's accounted for. But I just don't agree. I think that if you're running something like a tea room and there is a certain amount of stuff to be sold, you really need to, to have an agreement about doing that and just helping yourself, I would say, as if you owned the place. Well, you do own the place, but I still don't think that entitles you to just help yourself to everything and for the poor people who actually are running the place to have to, to keep a track of it so that they know what's going on. I think that they absolutely should be paying for it because there's a difference between their money and the tea room's money. And yeah. the performance of the tea room, which is how Fallon and Emma are going to be judged, is going to depend on how much they can sell. And if Tom and Natasha are stealing or helping themselves to the stuff that would otherwise be sold, that's going to have an adverse effect on the, the sales figures. But if they're properly charged for it at the end of the month to make up the gap, then that puts them in a better place. I was quite surprised by the whole, because it started off in the weekends and Natasha taking a role on the first time it was mentioned. Because she'd, said she'd been doing the up-marketing, the up-selling of things, so giving Emma the, the talk about that. So she's very aware of the accounting side of the produce that they use, because obviously they are produce that they're using which farms surely that's accounted for from which farm so so lettuces and stuff like that so i just felt that it was a funny story but it came when tony got involved and he talked to emma and then he realized what was happening because he even said didn't he oh i know we use a bit of we drink natasha's juices and we use we had we, we eat soup with leftover veggies, more or less. I think uh, it's going to be quite an interesting outcome. I'm not so sure that it will come to a big showdown, which is what I saw on Facebook. Somebody had predicted between Natasha and Tom and Fallon will walk out and do something else. But it will be another thing that will rumble on between them. So that's quite interesting. Now, Darcy, sadly, has lost her mama this week. Uh, and having lost mine earlier, just a little while ago, I wanted to send you really good wishes from the Dumpty Dum community, Darcy, because it's a hard time. Love to you and Co Coda. Yes, I'm sorry to hear that, Darcy. We'll now get on to our, our next call, and that is from Catherine. Hi, everyone, it's Catherine. Is anyone else totally confused by this land business? I lost track with Justin and Lillian and how Lillian was ever going to get this horse thing done without Shula finding it eventually anyway. But I was surprised that Shula uh, seems to have come back into the show, thought she'd gone forever. The other thing I've been entertained by is their rather loose attitude to planning. Now, I'm not reported to know anything about planning. All I know is, as a magistrate, I've sat on a few planning cases. And one of them was a, a similar situation, a village where inside a barn they had built a whole house. And this was not the first time the planning officers had seen this. They have a barn from the outside and inside. It's a totally functioning house. Maybe that's what they're going to do. Also linked to that, Eddie and Clary's attitude to almshouses. I live in a cathedral city and all the almshouses are very small and generally for one person and generally also within a parish boundary. So there's the ones near the cathedral, obviously, and there's ones near the parish churches from pre-Victorian times. How they, I think they think it's going to be like a four-bedroomed house. My opinion is generally almshouses absolutely tiny, a living room, bathroom, kitchenette, normally for one person, not to fit it all their crap and everything. And lastly, sound effects. I just love Natasha's clicky heels. And also another weird name. We had Brian's new squeeze, the dancer. I can't remember her name. And now we've got the childminder, also with Marietta or whatever her name was. They're never just called Jane or Karen or Caroline or something normal. They're always totally nuts, aren't they? Have a nice week, everybody. <laughs> thank you for that, Catherine. And thank you for not calling in in the middle of the night. I hope you got a good night's sleep last night because she called in on Friday evening. Funny enough, the house within a barn planning, that had occurred to me when they were clearing out the barn. I thought, I wonder if someone will buy the barn and leave it as a barn, but create a living unit inside it. Because that's we have one of those in here in San Gwen. Right in the centre of San Gwen, there is an old woodyard and the guy has cleared the woodyard and built a hangar 
uh, to store stuff in the wood and everything. But inside it, you go around the back, you go beside the stairs, and there's a full house inside with big windows looking out over the village pond. I'm often wondering whether they got planning permission to do that, but planning permission doesn't work here the same way as it does in the UK. But it is a good question. Does people ban keep bandaging around this planning thing over this land? I've been confused. As you know, last week I could, didn't know how big 10 acres was. <laughs> you told me it was so many sizes of a football pitch, so I can't even remember what you said now. So. I, but, I said um, it was about four hectares, and in fact we now know that it was 4.05 hectares because yes. Graham Ryder said that. Yes, he was very precise about that. And I thought, when I heard that, I thought, oh, yeah, that because Stephen did say it was about four. So there you go. We do know our stuff occasionally, Stephen. Well, you know it all the time. I don't. <laughs> How many bidders were there? So I did make a little list of all those bidders. But See, why was, did I know you would have done that? I haven't actually got it right to hand, but there was Borsetshire Builders. Yeah. There was the some, Camping people. Some, yeah, was it camping woman, campsite woman? Campsite woman, yeah. Uh, there's another woman to the right of Graham Ryder. Yeah. And then there was some person who's na- who was named yeah. uh, Lathwaite or something like that, and, yeah. and Eddie said he'd never heard of him. Yeah. And then there was a mysterious bidder on the phone, plus Justin and Brian. Justin and Brian, yeah. Quite a lot of uh, bidders, really, for a piece of land in an obscure village in the Midlands. So, uh, obviously, word had got out. Um. And it's quite interesting that the land for the charging station was sold off as a unit, and we never knew anything about that really beforehand, did we, with about the planning, about... But I, I suppose this was a different way of doing it with the auction. Are land auctions regular things? I don't know. I think it depends on the, the, the amount of land. I think that two acres to be used as a paddock, it wouldn't have been worth the additional costs of having an auction to to raise that sort of money. Whereas 10 acres with a, a barn on it was worth, as we saw, half a million pounds. So that was quite a lot more. I, I think that the two acres of Brookfield land was only worth about 40,000 pounds. Yes, but it was a bit of high land. It's, high, it's obviously high up because we heard about it being handy for taking the sheep uh, off the wetland in the winter. So it's obviously on a bit of a slope. It's on around. the the lower reaches of Lakey Hill. Well, oh, right to Lakey Hill. The Brookfield land is anyway. <laughs> uh, the the Grange Farm land it's less clear because all of Grange Farm was fairly low lying. It's it's in a but, bend in the river. Now, before we went to Birmingham, I remember I was looking for a map, and you sent me a map, and I looked at that map the other day, thinking, where is this land? Because Tony sent to Emma, it was a shame to lose that land where you can take the sheep off the low lying land. I'm still a bit confused about where this land is. I think if it's next to the road, it's further away from the river than other bits of Grange Farm. But even so, it's not exactly... Highland. It's not exactly Highland. On the planning, my understanding is that it's very easy to get permission to make use of existing buildings as long as you stay within the footprint of those buildings. So the sort of barn conversion thing is pretty straightforward. And that doesn't necessarily mean you could sort of build a house inside the barn, or you could just use the outside walls of the barn as the outside walls of the house and do something which is a bit more normal for a right. mission. I did remember seeing a, an episode of Grand Designs where they, it appeared that they were building a house literally inside this huge barn. And I think it was partly because the barn itself was listed and therefore there were oh. issues around that. Can I also just add one more thing to Catherine's cult? Yeah, those clip-clop shoes. It makes me laugh out loud when I hear Leslie, where she's Natasha and her clipping clopping through the yard into the cafe. But it, at least it's showing, I think it shows, it's her manner of showing that she's a determined woman going places in her Jimmy shoes. Those are the first few calls, but there are more where they came from, and we'll hear those both. As you know, we've closed down the Dumpty Dum website. So those of you who use it to access SpeakPipe will have to go directly to the, the SpeakPipe website and leave your message there. But the ever-expanding Facebook page is up and running at full speed, and we encourage you all to join us there. Now, I think Stephen's going to tell us how you can join the Fun and Fronts, and the details are also in the show notes. Yes, the first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com 
slash dumtdum. And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810012881. And if you're calling from outside the UK, you replace that first zero with plus four four. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. And finally, we have an email address that you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is dumtdum at mail.com. And do bear in mind that you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Next up, we have Paul from Olney, and he called twice. Hello, folks. Paul and Olney here. This is Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon, so I'm losing track. I had a bit of a lurky this week, so I'm not. Bear with me. So I'm calling in before Friday's episode with the big auction, so don't know what's going to go on there. If I get a chance later, I might give you another quick call. But I'm not sure why, why Clammy and Eddie are so worried about living arrangements. Oliver's selling off land, not the farmhouse. He's selling off a parcel of land, not all of it. So... There's no indication from him that he's going to evict them, that they're going to have to find somewhere else to live. I mean, yes, it might be more problematic for Ed and Emma, but why that worry about where they're going to live? It just, I just can't quite understand it. Maybe other people have heard things that I haven't quite often. I quite often find that things get discussed on Dumpty Dum and go, oh, I must have missed that. Anyway, never mind. As I say, might give you a ring a bit later when we know what's going on. Take care. Hello, it's Paul and Oli again. Post auction. Well, that left us completely the wiser, didn't it? There's a huge range of possibilities for who's actually bought that land. Possibly Shula after everything, but I don't think she's got the money. Possibly Alice's new bow. Yeah, I'm going with the gills. Definitely. We haven't heard enough about them. I'm sure that there's more to come out there. Anyway, have a good week, folks. Thank you for those calls, Paul. I completely agree with you about the strangeness around Eddie and Clara's concern about losing their home because as you say Oliver is selling 10 out of the 50 acres that he owns at Grange Farm he's not selling the farmhouse where the Grundys actually live so they shouldn't be in any housing peril we do think it's possible that Ed could have lost enough land to make a difference for his sheep but even that seemed a bit of a stretch that he was losing the 10 vital acres rather than being able to adapt to working off 40 rather than 50, unless the rest of the land is not so suitable for sheep. So that's all a bit strange. But I I did want to pick up on the whole business of Eddie and where they're going to live. This is something that Catherine mentioned in her call, but we didn't discuss just now, which is the whole business of almshouses and what they are and what they're like. Catherine made the point that the ones that she has seen around her local cathedral 
are very small, and that certainly seems to be the case. Every set of almshouses I've ever seen have been very small individual houses. So one small bedroom, one small living room, a, a tiny little, little kitchen. A lot of them were built in the 18th century or thereabouts. Some are associated with churches, but many of them are independent charitable trusts set up for looking after people of good character within the local community. They will tend to have rules about who is eligible for them. But in most cases, it's living locally that seems to be the key issue. If they're church associated, then it may be that church attendance is encouraged. But these days, most of them, it's about having lived in a particular area. The ones in, in Cheltenham that I'm most aware of, you're eligible if you've lived in Cheltenham for at least five years. But there is this additional factor of being of good character. Yeah. And it's interesting to know what counts as being of good character. Mm. And we don't think Eddie is of good character. Well, I don't know. I think he might be of good character. Clary certainly is of good yeah, character. Yeah, she is. Yeah. But again, a, a point that Catherine made and other people have made on social media is that almshouses are typically for individual single people rather than for couples. And I think the idea when they were founded was that the sort of people that needed to be cared for in those were those who had no husband or wife. Yeah. And in many cases, they're single sex establishments. Yeah. Uh, but again, the, the Cheltenham ones, it doesn't say anything about that in the deeds. And I suspect that if you are prepared to live in a tiny little place, the bedroom is big enough to have a double bed. And so you can possibly have a couple, but they are very cramped and it'll be a very different experience from Grange Farm. Yeah, but Grange also, Farm with their own suites, et cetera, yeah. But also a very different experience from Meadow Rise, which was the last time the Grundys yeah. were living somewhere other than Grange Farm. Yeah, and, and that was very, very sad when Eddie said, now I'd be dead within the year if we end up in one of those places. I actually think, I think we might be missing the point here, you know, Stephen, because it came about the discussion about the home because of Harry's upset about being worn out and working and them always having to work. Now, you mentioned earlier that Clary is 70, Eddie is 72. I've got my husband who's 75 next week and he's still working fairly full time. Despite several health problems, people do work until they're old, but they've never really had steady, steady jobs where they might be paying national insurance, especially Eddie. Yes, I suspect that Clary has been getting national insurance stamps from working at the Bridge Farm. Oh, sure, and surely she has on the ball. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. But Eddie hasn't. And a single person or a married woman's allowance uh, is still going to be a pittance, really, for them to live off if she's unable to continue. If they can't make money on their turkeys, I wouldn't even think that they were declaring their income from their turkeys very readily. Um, I'm sure... People would hope they would be, but um, yeah. I think we need a tax expert like Lynn to talk to us about that. Yes, I, I suspect they have no savings, very little in the way of a pension. An almshouse would give them very cheap, almost rent-free accommodation, and yeah. they might have just enough to, to get by on. But they really are going to have to depend on Will and Ed looking yeah. after them in there. Yeah, I think that this is typical of a, a working underclass in Ambridge that they, as they've got older, their, their, the situation hasn't really changed. In fact, they've got into a bit of trouble because before, of course, they would have had Joe's pension to add to the household income. What level of income he would have had. Did he ever work full-time anywhere? Was he just a gentleman farmer? He was a farmer, I think. He didn't have a yeah. job anywhere else. No. Of course, farmers can, he was would have been a member of the NFU and I think that they would have organise things like paying whatever self-employment or appropriate national insurance contributions might be. So I, I think that previously, they, I think that the Grundys would probably have been doing all the right things. I, I suspect right. it's really as they got on into later life that they started becoming more, more scammy. But I, yeah. I think that Joe was a, a member of the union. Mike Tucker would have looked after those yeah, sides of, of things to make yeah, sure that, that his finances were properly in shape. Yeah. So I think that Clary's distress over the possibility, the wild possibility that Oliver will sell the house comes from her general worriedness about the instability of their old age. Yes. And at some point, Oliver will probably sell up and, and move away. Uh, he sees himself as a small scale farmer. And at some point, he will decide that he's 
not going to do any farming anymore and might feel that 40 acres of Grange Farm is a responsibility that he doesn't really want to have anything more to deal with. Mm, indeed. Let's move on to our next call, and this one is from Vicky. Hi, everybody. Vicky Cole here. First of all, I want to say thank you very much to Stephen and Jacqueline for doing the podcast. It must take up such a lot of your weekends, and it's always so good and beautifully edited as well, Stephen. So thank you very much indeed. Sorry it's been a long time since I've called in. I never seem to be up to date enough, but this week I have kept up. It does feel to me as though there's been an awful lot of having a go this week. Clary had a go at Eddie and the boys about 30 years too late, in my opinion, but better late than never. And Shula had a go at Lillian, and Lillian had a go at Justin, leading to Justin mysteriously being sent packing out of his own house, which I didn't quite understand. And then we had the auction, and who has bought the land? And I am really, really hoping that this is going to be something that makes sense and not some other significance, but absolutely silent and unknown character like we've already had with the Gills and the owners of Grey Gables or the partners of Grey Gables. I really hope that this is something that's actually going to be people we know and there'll be a suitable plot line and, and that's why. But we shall see. Anyway, love to all. Bye. Thank you for that call, Vicky. Yeah, very, thank you. very big thank yous for the um, kind words. But I have to say I'm the imposter here because I sit here for an hour with Stephen recording on our sound. I am having done a bit of kind of planning and listening to calls with one, but takes very little time in reality. And it's Stephen who does the big job. So it's really big thanks to Stephen. Uh, so of course, I help him discuss things with a real view uh, of the world. But uh, there we go. <laughs> now, I was going to say something about this. Will it make sense, the storyline? I am wondering, and some even mentioned earlier, that you're suspecting it's Harry that's brought yes. the land. Um, and I think that, having, I hadn't really thought that until you said it, but yeah, that would be the reason that Harry was brought in. And I was trying to work out, are there any other characters that we've been introduced to fairly recently who didn't appear to be anything other than fluff? to a well-loved Ambridge character who might be involved. The other new character is Azra, but I don't think that it makes sense for her to arrive in a village on what may not be a very long-term yeah. job. and then From buy, Birmingham. From Birmingham and buy 10 acres of land and, right. and a, a big building project if she wants to live there. Of course, the name that has floated around an awful lot in social media is the Gills. Yeah. Because the Gills were... They brought, bought Home Farm House, and we have heard from Kerry that they were due to have a story, and then yeah. COVID came along and the number of storylines was drastically pruned, and theirs was part of that. So it may be that this is a way of suddenly bringing them back in, and having bought Home Farm House, they've now bought some land. Admittedly, it's half a mile away from Home Farm, if not a bit further than that. Uh, but the so, Hansard House, though, the Hansard House, isn't that surrounded by Home Farm? It is, but it would be a bit odd if they're living in Home Farm House and then doing something with 10 acres on the other side of the village. But you don't, never know. The Gills did miss a storyline. And as it was Kerry who told us that the Gills yeah. missed a storyline and Kerry writing this week, yeah. maybe there's, there's something there. I'm, I'm When you say about the Gills... If you imagine living on a working farm, even if you've got a very nice house, although you've trashed the garden, et cetera, et cetera, then living on a working farm is no fun at all, especially at this time of the year. I can't even walk through my village without wellies because we're needy mud, slurry, water, build whole lots, quite soon the rain, not the farmers, but and so maybe the girls like Ambridge, but they're sick to death of working on a because they're fly-ins, aren't they? They are. We know, we know nothing about where they've no. flown in from, but they're, they are incomers. And yeah. it's difficult to know exactly how access to home farm house relates to access to the farm. It might be that there is a front entrance to the house that's on the road, and then all the farm traffic goes around the back. Yeah. But even it would still, I suspect, be quite noisy, particularly with that drill. 
Yeah, exactly. And all the comings and goings with other people's sheep, etc. Yes, I mean, yeah. it's going to be interesting. I, I think this, I'm hoping, like Vicky, that this is going to be a real story. The build-up, it's taken quite a few weeks of the build-up, the reason why, and the angst of the Grandes and Emma and uh, her attitude in general. Nobody's phoned in much and said much about Emma this week, have they? No, apart from the various that you go girl. Yeah, exactly. Oh, after we've listened to Witherspoon, maybe we should talk about Emma and Kate more. In that case, let's do this. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Just got back from the movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone. It's the strange tale about the growth of a woman from a shell of a person controlled by others to a fully realized one who is able to stand up to men and take control of her life. And of course, I am reminded of the woman in Ambridge. This is the third week in a row in which I exclaim, you go, girl. And I did it twice. First shout out went to Clary, who stood up to the men in her family. We love Clary, but sometimes she's a bit passive, but not this time. And Eddie, with his many flaws, both loves and respects his wife, and so responded with great support. Their marriage is one for the ages. In contrast, when Lillian stood up to Justin, hooray for her, it was clear that while he says he loves her, he doesn't respect her. I don't know if this relationship can be repaired, only if Justin changes his ways, but I don't think he is capable of this. So I would not be sorry to say sayonara to him. But please, no return of Tiger. Now, some thoughts about Tom and Natasha. I'm going to be contrarian to what a lot of people are thinking and saying. My comments are from the perspective of being the spouse of someone who owned a dining and drinking establishment. Natasha came across, well, Natasha-like, when she urged Emma to upsell the tea room's products. That was such a frequent frustration of my husband that staff was not invested enough in the upselling process key to a retail environment. Regarding Tom, who I am not a fan of, re-listen to my comments from last week, but he is the owner of the tea room. So guess what? He does ha doesn't have to pay for the food he eats there. When I ate alone at my husband's place, I didn't pay, but if I were bringing someone, I did. However, one does need to keep an accurate accounting of the freebies. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that call, Witherspoon. I think we can agree to disagree over the appropriateness of paying for your, your way when you're helping yourself to stock even in an establishment that you own. I think there is a distinction between what is yours personally and what is yours indirectly through ownership of, of business. And I think we both agree that you have to keep a proper account of it. Yeah. But as I said, I also think that for reasons of managing performance of the, the place, if you are judging other people by the way that they go about running the business and how much money they make and so forth, then you really need to make sure that, that you're not twisting the playing field by helping yourself to stuff that they would otherwise be selling. The tea room, I'm sure, aims to sell out all of its cakes and buns and so forth by the end of the day. And so everyone that Tom helps himself to or Natasha helps herself to is one less that they can sell. And therefore, it goes straight to the performance of the, the cafe and they can't really do the upselling that you were advocating if Tom and Natasha have eaten everything that they would otherwise have upsold. Yeah. Yeah, with Spoon, I think Kathy is slightly different in your case when with Alan's Club because having been a guest of yours there, I can say, absolutely delicious and enjoyable evening in a blizzard we had. It's like you're not just taking something. It's not like you're standing in, you wouldn't be going in the kitchen and taking ingredients or whatever, you're actually having a meal, so you're having a dinner because you're not having it at home. And as you say, pay when you have a guest. But I think we're going to have to agree to disagree about the Tom and Nasha thing. Nasha, that slipped out, sorry. Tom and Natasha thing. But I want to get back to something else you said, no to Tiger. Now, a lot of people see Lillian was always wanting to have Tiger back. And I know that when I chatted with Kim Durham a few weeks ago to get the little sound clips that we started using for Twitter from him and stuff like that, he was very silent. You know, I asked the question, are we going to see Tiger back again? And uh, there was definitely no reply. 
into that. So, and I understand that they're stuck by rules, but I agree, really. I don't think I would want Tiger back. He was a bad one. He stole from little old ladies who were innocent. And yeah, he was good fun and Lillian was good with him. But he was even less trustworthy than Justin, who I think is an absolute out-and-out rat. Yeah, I'm not particularly looking forward to having him back if he were to come back because we've had all the Matt Crawford storylines and he's done his various bits and pieces and threatening to evict people and generally being a nasty businessman, even though he was quite an interesting character. And I'd rather we had somebody new rather than constantly rehashing it. Yeah, Various people have suggested that Matt was the anonymous purchaser of the land at Great Charm. Almost as crazy as a number of people who thought that Hazel Woolley was there. Uh, Again, another person. We've done Hazel Woolley and it would just be a repeat and it would be much more interesting to have somebody new. But as I've said a couple of times already, I think my money is on Harry on that particular (laughs) point. Yeah, so it will be very interesting if it is Harry and uh, the Alice situation because having him owning landed Ambrose, that brings it right up to her doorstep. And then, of course, there's the problem with Chris and the fact that her and Chris should never have raised in the first place. And uh, a whole new storyline spreading out before us in the next year. So there we go. So I think those are all our calls, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Thank you very much uh, for pulling in. It's quite interesting to get a few calls quite early in the week about subjects that aren't necessarily relevant by the end of the week, if you see what I mean. But if you fancy making an early call, it then makes gets us our minds around the fact that we've got calls and start thinking about what you're saying beforehand. Otherwise, if everybody calls on a Friday, Stephen and I don't sleep much. Friday to Saturday night. But don't let us... Deter you from calling if you want to call in on on Friday, please do, because we love having your calls. And (laughs) this podcast is about us discussing your calls. (laughs) And and, and without your calls, we we ended up just talking to ourselves. And that's much less interesting for you. Yeah, it's much less interesting for us, isn't it? (laughs) That too. Let's move on to Facebook, where we still have 2,500 plus very active, friendly and erudite members. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Ruth Buchanan, Sally Dean, Carol Green, Helen Roberts, Bev Milner-Simons, Claire Storey, Matt Bunker, Vicky Horton-Turner, Adriana Bate, and Liz Kitchener. So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Ben is here with his review. Hey there, it's Ben checking in from an unusually Christmassy Shanghai. Let's dive into the juicy happenings on our social media pages this week. We've got plot predictions flying in from all directions. Ten acres of farmland and a soon-to-be-vacant lodge have got everyone's fingers tapping away. Peggy's decision to sell up and head to the laurels has set the rumour mill spinning. Keen-eared listeners like Jennifer Henley are digging into the details, recalling that Helen was supposedly next in line to Peggy's ever-changing will. But hold on, as new contenders for the title deeds are stepping up, including Brian, our new GP Azra and her kids, or even Alice and Harry. This week we've taken a deep dive into the ever-changing estates of Ambridge, where rooms magically appear and disappear faster than you can say, hang on, doesn't Hannah need a place too? Now, over at Grange Farm, things seem a little bit tense on the surface, but the word on our Facebook page is that Eddie is playing the long game, but not so subtly. Natasha Cern's not fooled though, she says he is as transparent as they come. But wait, Hazel Morris swooped in to defend Eddie, claiming that he's smart enough to know what's at stake and that maybe a little humility wouldn't hurt. Fresh and surprisingly back off the Sunderland scene, Andrea Twelves loved hearing Shula take on Lillian. Many members are rallying for Shula's return and the frank exchange with Lillian sparked some serious fireworks, leading to many to confess just how many multiple re-listens they make, with Darcy taking home the dedication award three times plus the omnibus. So, Lillian's on the warpath and the big question is, will her relationship with Justin survive? Our very own Jacqueline thinks that their love thrives on conflict, but wonders if this time Justin went a bit too far. Sandra D. Jenkinson agrees, Justin went much too far this time. And many of us are just waiting to hear the words, All right, Puscat. On the whole, a jolly good week in Ambridge. And until next time, it's Tetian from Shanghai. Have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And I'm off to take a train to Nanjing. 
Thank you very much for that, Ben. I hope you have a good time in Nanjing. Ben has sent me a couple of photos from uh, Christmas in Shanghai, which you'll hope I've sent to you, so hopefully we'll be able to put those up on our um, Facebook page. So I want to thank everybody in the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. As you've heard, then I do join them occasionally. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Now, I think we might have had a review this week. Yes, we have had one on Apple Podcasts from somebody who calls himself Loves Jazzers Singing. <laughs> and it goes like this. Ambridge Till I Die, five stars. If listening to the Archers is as much part of your daily routine as slotting between your crowns and getting enough fibre, then this podcast is for you. The hosts and regular contributors, call her in or us, have thousands of years' worth of devoted listening between them, and the result is riveting context and backstory guaranteed. In real life, I can find myself mentioning David and Ruth's digester, impersonating Lillian's dirty laugh when she installed a bath with taps in the middle, or asking people what happened to Jude, only to be met by a confused expression. In Dumpty Dumland, everybody knows what I'm talking about. The podcast medium has changed so much, but for me, the magic is always when you tune in and feel like you're listening to a conversation with friends. Dumpty Dum does this every time. Oh, that's very lovely. Thank you very much. And the person who loves jazz's singing, I do too. As a non-singer, I appreciate that he sings beautifully. Now on to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. And as well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Gwen. And I can be found at Wenlock House. But we're both spending more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky. I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And I am at jberto.bsky.social. Now, shall we find out who won the Twitter medals this week with our Theo? Tweet, tweet, tiger. <laughs> Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week, on both sites, in amongst all the You Go Girls support for both Emma and Lillian, and encouragement for Clary, there's been a lot of housing talk. The Grundys and Almshouses, Tom and Natasha and their aspirations. Will they be the ones to buy the lodge from Peggy? Or will Lillian move in there when Justin reclaims his dower house? Will Kate move in with Brian? Will Leone, James and Mungo move back to Ambridge to help out Linda? And who will get to house Hilda Ogden, the cat? Dumpty Dum's own housing correspondent, Claire Asprey, at Claire J. Asprey, posted a link to almshouses.org, the national body for over 1,600 almshouse charities in the UK. She says there are loads of almshouses still operating and she really hopes Clary and Eddie can get one. It's nice that there are so many experts among the Dumpty Dum community to tell us how things really work. Well, now to my medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, both of which we continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Zandel at zandel.bsky.social. Tom and Tony should check Johnny's CV on his agent's website. It says he left the Archers in 2022. The silver medal is for Matt, at MattMark2. I've never met a more rude or ungrateful woman, said Kate, the very definition of lack of self-awareness. And the gold medal goes to Ian Roberts, at slowbikeian.bsky.social. You've got to feel sorry for Tom and Natasha. Planning their own dream home at the same time as grounding Fallon's hopes and dreams into the dirt. No wonder they're exhausted. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you.
thank you for that, Casio, and congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. Now, don't forget we're on Instagram, at Dumpty Dum, where CEO looks after things. Next week, I will be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning with Theo. So please get your calls in by midnight on Friday, UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community. You really do make making this podcast worthwhile. Uh, we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman, Joyful Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now going off to the bull to buy Eddie a pint. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir for a couple of weeks from me. Dumpty 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 Dum Dumpty 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 Dum Dumpty 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 Dumpty